Hey guys, welcome to Ringer FC. Before we get started, just want to tell you a little bit about the Ringer NBA show, which is now five days a week. Monday, you've got Heat Check featuring a variety of Ringer staffers talking to John Gonzalez. Tuesday, it's Kevin O'Connor and Chris Vernon. Wednesday, or at least every other Wednesday, it's Sources Say with me, Chris Ryan, and Juliet Littman. Thursday is NBA Group Chat, which is a casual conversation among Ringer LA staffers. And on Fridays, it's Draft Class with Danny, John Charks, and Kevin O'Connor talking about the best in prospects coming out of college and rookies playing in the NBA now. And while I have your attention, please go check out two incredible pieces on Black Panther on TheRinger.com. One is by Kay Austin Collins. It's his review of Black Panther. And another is by Micah Peters, who you may know if you are a fan of uh, Toronto FC. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Micah is a member of the Ringer FC squad, and he wrote an awesome piece about Black Panther... The historical aspect of the character, its role in Marvel Comics, and the road it's taken uh, to get to the big screen. So please check out those two pieces by Cam and Micah. Listen to the Ringer NBA show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Let's get it going. Hello, and welcome to Ringer FC. My name is Chris Ryan. I am joined by Ryan O'Hanlon. What's up? Micah Peters. What's going down? Donnie Kwok. The champion. The diamond <laughs> midfield is assembled. We are here to talk about the Champions League. It's back. Guys, show of hands. Well, you know, you have to say it, actually, because showing, showing of hands doesn't work on a podcast. How many people just still get the hair on the back of their neck stands up when the Champions League starts back up in the knockouts? <sighs> Especially when I mean, your favorite team is back in it. <laughs> that adds another, like... That helps. I, I just think it's just, like, still weirdly the coolest thing in the world to see Tottenham playing in, in Turin. In, in, it's just yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. just such a cool experience. Donnie, I, I, are you looking forward to Thursday? <laughs> Arsenal playing in Belarus? <laughs> Non-existent hair on my arms will be standing yeah, up. We are going <laughs> to um, do another... Uh, special, but it's going to be about the Europa League and it's just going to be Donnie talking about... And it will only be broadcast to the far reaches of Eastern Europe. <laughs> uh, no, we have some massive overreactions about the Champions League. We're also going to talk a little bit about game situations because one of the things that we saw over the last two days of the Champions League was teams kind of hedging their bets when they had a lead. And I'm I'm a little mystified as to why, why that happened. So I want to ask our panel of experts here a little bit about that. Plus, we're going to talk about uh, the new Premier League TV deals that have been signed in England and what it means for the days of wild spending in the Premier League. And very quickly, we will talk about the election of Carlos Cordero as U.S. soccer president. But first, let's start with massive overreactions. Okay, Ryan, the first one. PSG is not European royalty. <laughs> this is not an overreaction. Spicy. PSG lost 3-1 in Madrid to Real Madrid. Two goals from the washed Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> One from Marcelo. Uh, look, man, you got you to gotta beat these big teams. This, this is, uh, you don't basically spend a small nation's worth of money in a summer to uh, lose 3-1 to in the round of 16 in the Champions League. It's not a great return on investment to buy Neymar for 250 mil so that you can, you know, dink on Rin in Ligue 1. Yeah, I mean, this is what Adrian Rab Rabio said after the game. It's all well and good putting eight goals past Dijon, 
but it's it's in matches like this that you have to stand up and be counted. That's like a classic line from the dude who scored the one goal in the <laughs> game when the rest of your team sucked. <laughs> it was just like, y'all lost. Yeah. I scored today. I don't know what you're talking about. Yes or no, yes or no, Rabio looks a little like Timothy Chamele. Yes. He does. He 100%. does. Older he, version. I mean, yeah. Like, if you took, if you grabbed it, Timothy Chalamet by the head and his feet, and you stretched him outwards, <laughs> yes. you would get Adrian Ravio. All right, so let's go Wait, around the room. They're a the bit same here. age. Seriously? Are you yeah. saying that maybe that they're the same person? <laughs> I don't think Chalamet would throw his teammates under the bus like that. No, I don't. Can Ravio speak Italian? Chalamet would never, never diss Army Hammer like this. All right, look. <laughs> On one hand, Real Madrid, Zinedine Zidane has won 10 of his last 14 knockout games, according to Opta. So they have the pedigree. They're the <coughs> two-time defending Champions League champions. So we should be you know, expecting them to come with it, especially at home. But this is a huge test for both teams. Uh, Ryan, what did, you, what did you think of what you saw out there? My, I said this earlier to you guys. My biggest takeaway from this game is that neither of these teams are going to win the Champions League. Really? <laughs> um, PSG seemed like a team that was used to just easily being able to get the ball up to Neymar, Mbappe, and Cavani, and then once you get the ball up to them, it's game over, pretty much. Um, and then suddenly they played a team that actually like could destroy them if they won the ball back, and they had no idea what to do with it. And Madrid, like, it's felt like a classic Madrid game over the past two years where it's like they don't they have don't. really any control over the game it doesn't seem like even after they go up they're sort of giving up a bunch of counterattacks. but you know they got a penalty a ball off of Ronaldo's knee and a deflection off of uh, from Marcelo and they win 3-1 so I feel like I like how you just disdainfully call it a ball off Ronaldo's <laughs> knee. It's a goal. Like, it's a, it, like it is like a goal. Did but that, at the same time, if you if nah, you were Salah would have if, juggled it in. If you were watching the game. Did it feel like it was three one? Like it didn't. No. It, you. Yeah, I mean, like it was. It's the thing about the thing about Madrid is that it just feels like justice. Like the specter is just absent any time that they're playing. Yeah, in We're, terms of referee decisions or in terms of the arc of the movie? I mean, I'm talking universe. about the the arc of the universe. Okay, <laughs> bends toward Ronaldo kneeing the ball in from the six yard box. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, speaking of Ronaldo, like you gotta, it's he's 33. You gotta get rid of the frosted tips. Yeah, he, he brought <laughs> he brought them back, which is the weird thing. He, yeah, he didn't have them for a while, and then you it's know. Tough. He, uh, he really had to think about it after Mario Mandzukic scored that bike kick in the final last year, and then he bricked one like two minutes later. I mean, we talked, we talked, we've talked a little bit of shit about Ronaldo this year. But, I don't. He's you know. a big game player. Yeah. Well, so Johnny, uh, like, when you're like, what is, it, was there something about this that you felt like this is just Ronaldo has been saving all of his uh, his his energy for one game? I mean, this is the stage that he lives for. I mean, this is what he does, really. I mean, I, 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 sorry to sound like a, <laughs> like a, a Fox Sports pundit or something, but I mean, it is basically, uh, you know, like what makes Ronaldo Ronaldo is on these big stages. He delivers. Yeah. And and like I had the feeling. I mean, it's not. I mean, Ryan was joking on me saying I was going out on a limb, but I had the feeling the whole time he was going to score. He was definitely going to score in this match. It was just a matter of when and how. And he did. He got the penalty, and then he had the, you know, kind of a fortuitous bounce. But, you know, I, I, overall, I think it was a, you know, it didn't feel like maybe the scoreline flatters Madrid a little bit. But I think 
you know, what's, you know, we were saying RIP Zidane, or at least Ryan was at 1 0. And I think <laughs> private, that was a private message. <laughs> Tell us that in confidence. 3 1, Ryan was saying Zidane should get a lifetime contract. <laughs> you know, him, him, him putting um, Asensio on, uh, you know, as a sub. You know, that kind of changed the game. I mean, he kind of upped the tempo and was a crucial part of, you know, the second two goals. So what's the what's the Neymar Mbappe report report card say? And this is their first this is their biggest test yet. People were really shitting on especially Neymar. I mean, it's fun. Like Schadenfreude to kind of mock his performance he I don't think he played poorly I mean he didn't score obviously but well, he, was probably, he definitely played better after he changed his cleats and he was probably <laughs> nervous about offending his future teammates Ter- terrible Jerry Hurl <laughs> yeah. oh he was my getting, god he was getting fouled like crazy as usual you know in the first half and I you know I don't know do you guys think on the Rabiot goal that that was a a back heel pass oh, from Neymar. Oh, okay. or that was this yeah. is this is the close to section. I think that Neymar meant to lay the ball off to Rabio, but uh, Nacho got his. Actually, if you look at it in like super slow motion, Nacho got his foot to it before. I think Nacho. I mean, I think Neymar kicked Nacho's foot into the ball on purpose. Yeah, on purpose. <laughs> the so fact that we're like, the fact that we're even like saying whether or not Neymar back heeled that kind of tells you anything. Everything that he would even do that. Yeah, um, I thought. It go, it's hard to judge them a little bit because of everything I was saying earlier about them kind of – they need someone to get them the ball in advantageous positions. Like Neymar was just like dribbling through Real Madrid's team basically yeah. the entire game. Yeah. Attempted 17 dribbles, completed 13. That's like an insane number, especially yeah. in a game like this. <laughs> um, and Mbappe, like he didn't get the ball that much, but then the the goal they score is he beats two people on the sideline and plays in like a perfect cross, early cross, and at least to a goal. So I – I was impressed by the two of them. All right, around the room really quickly before we move on, do you think the PSG can get this back in Paris, Micah? Mm, no. Ryan? Yeah, I do. Donnie? Yeah, I think they can get it back. Just from the Guardian rumor mill about next summer, it quote, it looks like it will be a busy summer in the Spanish capital. Madrid will finance their Barca-bothering move for Neymar by ditching Gareth Bale, Kareem Benzema, Luka Modric, and Kaylor Navas. And you might want to be sitting down before you read the next pick. They are also talking about signing Harry Kane, nabbing Mauricio Pochettino, and signing to- Toby Alderweireld. Oh wait! So they no, just are going to get Neymar and Tottenham. Just buy Tottenham. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not a terrible strategy. It's not. It's not. That's not bad. They're probably pretty cheap. All right. Next massive overreaction: Manchester City and Liverpool are going to the Champions League final. Let's just fast forward. <laughs> <laughs> who, who wouldn't want that after the last Man City Liverpool game? It's it's the game that all neutrals. I think all Man City and Liverpool fans. Who would have to- <laughs> oh, that is incredibly self serving for you to say that out loud. I think I'd rather, all- I'd rather see Basel Porto. Yeah, the Champions League final. Yeah, but all Man City and Liverpool fans that would have to go to Kiev, I think, would probably be a little bit stressed about that. But they'd probably take the Champions League final over. It. I think Liverpool's big in Ukraine after the. Vaunted stint of Andre Voronin. Oh, that's great. Right. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Liverpool won five uh, nothing over Porto. Sadio Mane had a hat trick. According to Opta, Liverpool have now scored more goals than any other team in the Champions League this season. Twenty five of those goals in the last five games. It's Manchester lit. City bought twenty of them against Maribor. <laughs> <laughs> Manchester City beat Basel four nothing. Uh, Ilkay Gundogan is is tearing it up. Uh, Ryan, um, were you at all worried that Liverpool was going to come out and lay a donut in this one? 
The rational part of me actually wasn't because okay. I kind of feel like this team is built for games like this. But the irrational part of me always expects Liverpool to produce a game where they just pound on the opposition goal and then fuck up three times and end up losing. The Brexit midfield <laughs> had me worried. Yeah. Yeah. You were saying this before the game started is that you look at the front three of of uh, Firmino, Mane, and uh, Salah. Salah. And then you look at the rest of the team. And Hendo, it's just kind of like yeah. Milner, <laughs> Andy Robertson, Andy Robertson, <laughs> Alexander yeah. Arnold. Yeah. Lovren's still in the starting lineup somehow. <laughs> still, like, you know, really not too far from being a Europa League team, except for the fact that you have one of the best attacking trios in the on the so you're saying that we are close to being a Europa League team, except we have one of the best forward lines in Europe. There you go. Yeah. There you go. And scoring is the most with important the exception thing. Of, with the exception of, I mean, like if you score three and give up four, it's still a loss. I thought Robertson was valued at 100 million pounds now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Flip him this summer to uh, PSG. These teams both did exactly what they were supposed to do. They were playing. They got the luck of the draw, playing slightly lesser. This is not a good Porto team by all accounts. I can't say that I've watched a ton of Porto. Hey, they're. Again, this is going to sound so self-serving, but you know, Porto is undefeated in the Portuguese league. Seventeen wins, fourteen four draws. They've given up ten goals all year in the Portuguese. League, I only so judge they're not my, terrible. Yeah, no, but I only judge them based on like half their team is about to get bought by Chelsea and and <laughs> Barca. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Gundogan because you know he's somebody that I think we all have a lot of affection for as a player, and had been dealing with a lot of. Just really bad knee injuries. To see him come back here, the stats courtesy of Squawka. 87 touches, 55 completed passes, six tackles, four shots, two goals, two take-ons, a chance created, and an interception. That's about everything you could ask for from a midfielder, although we will be getting to slightly better midfield performance <laughs> just, <laughs> just a minute. Um, I feel like one of the big question marks we had for City and then throughout the course of this podcast where we have tried to convince ourselves that they're invincible in some way. One of the main things was that um, Fernandinho, and if he got hurt uh, in central midfield, they'd be fucked. <laughs> but now it's the opposite, and Gundogan's like playing basically back at his peak now, and they're actually better <laughs> in yeah. center midfield right now than I thought they would be, which is wild. And if they just if they finish the way they did against Basel, all the goals were ridiculous. No one is going to beat them if they can finish like that. And wasn't Sané fit enough to be on the bench for that? He played, yeah. yeah. Which oh, he, he came is on. insane. <laughs> yeah. so he, so I don't understand what happened with that. He, he said, thought, they said he had damaged ligaments in his ankle, which if ligaments is involved in the injury report, you expect more than like missing three games. Yeah. I guess it makes me think that that whole Mares thing was not related to Sané then if he was <laughs> going to come back. Mike, way. are you at all surprised to see... Um, this this sort of lightning attack of both of these teams go unimpeded in the Champions League. Did you think that maybe one of these two teams, Basel or Porto, were going to put up a little bit more of a fight, figure out a way to disrupt, whether it was time wasting, foul, like professional fouling? Like, is there any way you can stop these teams when they're on a roll? I don't necessarily. Think, I mean, like, if to answer the first question, if I thought that Basel or Porto were ever going to pull off any sort of miracles against Liverpool or Manchester City, no. But at home, you're like, let's just keep it. Like, let's mitigate the damage a little bit, at least. Oh yeah, I mean, but sitting back and fouling hasn't really worked for anyone yeah. against City. Like, yeah. So I mean, I'd, so no. I mean, I I pretty much already thought that both of these teams were shooing for the next round, like for the final eight. Donnie, who are you more impressed with, if it's possible to uh, be more impressed with either one? 
Well, to be honest, I didn't watch either match. So <laughs> because you guys, because you guys are Liverpool fans, I'll say no. I mean, like you're, you're up on your roof, you're setting up your your satellite dish to get the Europe, Europa League signal. It's a tough, it's a tough <laughs> match for you. I'll say this. I'll say this. I watched the highlights of the Liverpool. I mean, the goals. There were some nice goals. The uh, Salah goal was good. I guess I don't know. He scored twice, right? Uh, yeah, yes. including like one that the was juggled just, one was yeah. nice. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next, <laughs> shout out Milner. Yeah, okay, James Milner is leading the Champions James League. James Milner <laughs> randomly before that solid goal, just turning into like Barishnikov on the corner of the box <laughs> and picking out the far post. I was just like, who is who is James Milner? Uh, I'm really it's it's nice to see you singing. You'll never walk alone. I need yeah. you to come around. Last overreaction: Musa Dembele <laughs> went back in time and two foot tackled Andrea Pirlo. <laughs> One of the most impressive holding midfield performances we've seen in a really long time. Juventus 2, Tottenham 2, but Juventus was up two goals. Spurs came back. Uh, Iguain had like a thousand chances to just absolutely finish this tie-off. But then Dembele, you know, if you watch the highlights, it looks like Christian Eriksen bossed this game. But in fact, it was Dembele, 116 touches, 94 passes completed, four tackles won, two chances created, an interception. I mean, just an absolute boss. We're going to remember this week as the week where Dembele officially went from underrated to overrated. Yeah, I mean, like, the, <laughs> in the same Guardian rumor mill article that I was quoting earlier, they say that he's going to China, which is, like, the perfect note for, you know, like, it was, it was, he's he's a great player who has just been often, like, held back by the limitations of his own body, really, yeah. right? But yeah. on a serious note, like, uh, tactics, boys, like... The you know everybody knows what the Makaleli role is, right? Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. What what exactly would how would you characterize the Dembele role? I mean, like he's the engine. He's the he's the team that your. He's, I mean, he's the player that your team doesn't have. I mean, like it's mostly the fact that your team you have, like the Royal Your or just I mean like Arsenal. Arsenal. Like Arsenal. <laughs> yeah. It's it's, it's basically. <laughs> like, here's the thing he's not exactly a he's not like a water carrier in the pure sense he's not just like a you know he does drive forward yeah but he doesn't score he doesn't assist he hits a lot of square balls I, I see what he's good at he's good at protecting the ball and he's good at it in tight spaces and like getting out of jams when people are pressing I mean okay, I think so you... think about this this one play that was I believe it was like towards the end of the first half uh um Vertonghen and Sanchez were pressed up the pitch. The Empire back line was pressed up the pitch, and Dembele checked back to the top of his box to get the, to receive the ball from Hugo Lloris. And right then, like, Douglas Costa and Iguain collapsed on him. Like, I mean, we're, we're in any other situation, that is a, that's a tough situation to get out of if it's just you against two defenders and you are the last line of defense, basically. And he just picked his head up, and with two touches, broke the press and was like starting the attack and down the other side of the pit. Like those are that's an important thing that to, to have in your side. Yeah, I think he's in some ways it's a position, a role that he plays that really wouldn't have existed like fifteen or twenty years ago. What the best the thing he does best is like breaking a press. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. a, he gets the ball checks over his shoulder, does like a feint one way, the defender tries to come around one side, then he turns upfield, and then he's, he breaks through the midfield and he has 10 yards of space in front of him. He can either play the ball up to Erickson, who can then play the final pass, or he can take it himself. And I think that 
just the idea of a central midfielder who can dribble through tight spaces. In the so, past, that wasn't a thing that center midfield was even really valued in a central midfielder because it's kind of a dangerous thing yeah, to try I mean, to dribble gone, in that. Like you said, that. The, the, the way that we've, the, the midfield position, the central midfield position has sort of changed over the years. Barney Roney has a really good column about this, but this idea that you would basically pair uh, a shielding midfielder with, it was basically the Mascherano Alonso were the two, yeah. were, would yeah. be two good, good uh, examples of one guy destroys, the other guy starts the attack, yeah. and then you have somebody who's an attacking midfielder who does a little bit more of the, the frosting on the cake stuff. Right. Dembele allows Pochettino to play different... He allows Erickson, for instance, to be this kind of in between a forward and a midfielder. Yeah. And he allows guys like Lamella to kind of drift inwards because he can take up so much responsibility in the midfield. He's yeah, playing so, essentially three positions. So, yeah. it, so, in a perfect world, then for Mourinho, he wants Pogba to be doing what Dembele is doing. And maybe Matic is not doing effectively what Dyer is doing to protect Dembele when Mourinho's he marauds for it's Maybe different. a little a, bit. What I would say is that... It's still a two-man, though, in, yeah, the, in the middle. Yeah, but Pogba, Pogba, what you want from him is you want him a little closer to the goal because he can score yeah, and he can you, create. You want Pogba to be on the top of that triangle. If, if you're going to play a two-man midfield, he can't be in it. He needs to be, like, a, he's at his best when he can roam free. Like, Dembele is the person that's going to do the things that nobody else wants to a little bit. Um, kind of like the glue guy. Um, I I can't. Uh, yeah, how best? What's the most? No, it's, I well, think I, it, but I think it's also specific to Tottenham too, because yeah. Tottenham has center backs who can play, yeah. and that's and that's a thing that not a lot of teams have. Guys, where you do want Sanchez and Vertonghen up around the midfield line, yeah. and maybe yeah. getting involved in, in in being as outlets for for cycling the ball around, right? Yeah, yeah. I th- I think we should also say you know Dembele came up sort of as an attacking midfielder, mm-hmm. and you can see it in how he plays from that deep. He's making dangerous runs with the ball at his feet from like pretty deep in the field where if he loses the ball in those situations the team is basically fucked but the other thing about him is like the difference between him and Pogba is that Dembele is like a pretty solid defensive presence also Mm -hmm. and Pogba is just not he's not he's fine he's not like a negative defensively but he's not it's not the thing that he's meant to be doing yeah exactly so with Pogba I think you ideally as kind of we've been talking about he is in a three rather than a two. Yes, um, right. And I think that that segues nicely into our next section. It's our zonal question mark. And it's about why teams play scared when they have the lead. And we'll get to that. But first, let's just hear a quick word from our sponsors. For over 30 years, men have trusted Just for Men to provide easy gray care solutions. Now they can trust Just for Men to provide a hair regrowth solution as well. Formulated with the number one dermatologist recommended ingredient proven to regrow hair, 5% minoxidil. Hair regrowth from Just For Men is an easy-to-use topical solution that's clinically proven to help regrow hair. It works by reactivating hair follicles to simulate growth, perfect for men with thinning hair. Plus, with a unique precision spray applicator, this is hair regrowth made easy. Simply spray in, sit back, and move on. Because when you look as good as you feel on the inside, every date night, every meeting, every guy's night out, every Arsenal Europa League Thursdays will be something to look forward to. 
Start winning over thinning. Look for one and three month supplies of hair regrowth in the shave aisle. Or visit jfmgrowhair.com and use promo code REGROWTH25 to get 25% off your purchase. That's jfmgrowhair.com and use promo code REGROWTH25 to get 25% off your purchase. Today's episode of Regrow FC is also brought to you by bookmaker.eu. With over 30 years of experience, bookmaker.eu is your online bookmaker for all your football betting needs, both professional and recreational. It offers live in-progress betting on English Premier League, Champions League, World Cup matches, and more. And this allows you to wager on the game uninterrupted from start up until the final whistle. Bets are then graded within seconds and your account is credited instantly. Plus, with mobile betting, you can access your bookmaker betting account anytime, anywhere from your desktop, tablet, or smartphone. And there's no download necessary. No wonder Bookmaker has been mentioned in major media outlets like the New York Times, Forbes, and SB Nation, and is known by the pros as where Vegas goes for the opening line. Visit bookmaker.eu slash FC to join and claim your cash welcome bonus of up to $1,000. That's bookmaker.eu slash FC to join and claim your cash welcome bonus of up to $1,000. Yeah, U.S. betters are accepted. All right, guys, we are back. Uh, we're still talking Champions League, but there's a couple of situations that we saw come out of the games from Tuesday and Wednesday that uh, I wanted to ask specifically you, Ryan, and Micah about as guys who've played soccer before at a pretty high level. Um, I know that, Micah, you're, uh, uh, congratulations on winning the MLS uh, Cup. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, no, but, you know, Juventus was up 2-0 uh, <laughs> after 10 minutes against Tottenham, uh, and they were even drawing some size from the, the Turin crowd, right? Because right. after 10 minutes, you go up to nothing, and rather than say, see if you can get three or four or five and put the tie to bed, they started playing in their own half. They started defending. They threw yeah. the bus. They t- tried to park the bus a little bit and hit them on the break. And to be fair, that was actually a... a it should have worked, right? Like, they had a couple of pretty good counterattacks. They had Costa. They drew Iguain. the penalty. They drew a penalty. Iguain missed a couple of chances. But I think that the crowd and the announcers and everybody on Twitter was sort of like, why is Juve just letting Tottenham get back in this game by, like, a, like wave after wave after wave of attack? Yeah, and it's not... It's it's fucking Juventus we're talking about. It's yeah. not, like, Burnley. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, and it's... It's just, it was kind of wild to see. Like, it was, the te- first 10 minutes of the game were weird because Tottenham was just making a ton of mistakes. And well, you can project that onto them as being nerves of being in this new situation and being in this crazy stadium. But also, like, Juve was actually, like, pressing pretty high up the field. For um, Juve especially, yeah. yeah. And that's kind of what created the issues for Tottenham. And then they stopped doing that. And, like, it wasn't like, it wasn't like they were, like, aggressively defending in their own half. They were, like, just shelled back at the top of their 18, just letting Dembele... He played incredibly well, but there were so many times where he got the ball and then just had, like, 20 yards of space in front of him with no one near him. There was a couple... The one that led to the Erickson free kick, I felt like it was an example of Juve doing exactly what you're saying, allowing way too much space for Tottenham's attackers to make dribbling moves. Yeah. It's yeah. like you can't I let mean, them was, have a run at the penalty. Yeah, yeah. like it was mostly just Dembele had, they would send basically one defender. He skips around that guy, and then it's just, you can take three long touches to get like, to just, I mean, and there's nothing, 
it's really difficult to have a to have an attacker sprinting at you. Like there's yeah. it's it's not like but I mean as far as why teams play conservatively after going up two goals, like I honestly don't think you can say it's one thing about this is because uh it's over they're, they're, these are two-leg tactics or we have so many games to play or this, that, and the other thing. You only really have that one and then the next leg you don't play for another three weeks. Yeah. Right. Well, right. let me let me ask you a question as someone who uh, has recently hoisted the Lamar Hunt trophy. The I don't John know if that's what it's called. Lamar Hunt trophy. <laughs> um, I think when you do have a lead in soccer as a player, there are, you do there are times where you kind of feel it and maybe you play a little more tentatively, right? You've probably oh, yeah. experienced that. Yeah. And so if your manager is then telling you to also play conservatively, that's just like feeding into the sort of like <laughs> nervousness. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, I mean like, yeah, so if you, you're holding a two a two zero lead and that can either be, like you were saying, we're going to go get goals three and four because we're up 2-0 in the first yeah. 15 minutes. So let's just bury this team and, you know, keep possession for the rest of the game. Or if you're gonna if you go up 2-0 and your coach is just kind of like, all right, we need to protect this lead, like the the buzzwords like protect, conserve, all those other things, and you're yeah. thinking like you're you're cradling this thing that you don't want to break, and it's I I, I hate to do this because it's like I I mean it as a bit when I say it, but it's like <laughs> it's almost a matter of peaking too early. That 80 <laughs> minutes is a long time to play yeah. defense, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, which is why it yeah. doesn't make sense to back into a shell, right? You know we. Just historically, when you teams are winning, they give up more shots than they do when it's tied. But the shots they get on the other end are always like higher quality because just simply the other team has to push up to scores. When you win the ball back, they have fewer defenders. Right. So it should be like Chelsea won the Premier League last year essentially by just scoring the first goal in every game and then they could just play on the counter. Mm-hmm. Um, it should be a huge boon to you to go up a goal. Like, it should totally change the game in your favor. And it's weird seeing it yesterday where it's, like, going up to nothing, <laughs> like, felt like it was a bad thing for Juventus in a way. Donnie, I also think it's something about the... Um, Italian football? Well, I mean, it, 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 we're joking, but I, I do think that the norm now is to see teams press, to see aggressive, uh, uh, athletic, aggressive teams who like to run, who like to get after the ball. And you don't see as much Rafa-style, everybody knows exactly where they're supposed to stand and what they're supposed to do at any given moment. And Rafa was very much, like, even though he made his bones at Valencia, I think that he was a almost an, a manager in the Italian tradition of controlling the game, of controlling the tempo of the game. And I think the tempo of football, I don't have a number here to prove this, Yeah. Has has gone up, right? Yeah, and I was gonna say, I, I, you know, this Juve is not the first team that Spurs have done this to this season. Yeah. I think yeah. it's like the, 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 their style of play. Whether or not you, as their opponent, are turtling or protecting a lead or playing prevent or what what have you, it, it almost doesn't matter because uh, they are forcing the issue. So, yeah, I I think I'd be interested to hear what you think, Donnie. Like, you know, we kind of saw this in the Tottenham Liverpool game where Liverpool probably outplay them the first half, then Tottenham pin them back. How do you, you know, it's, we're blaming Juventus here, right? But a lot of the credit kind of probably goes to, should go to Tottenham as well, being able to like pin Juve back that far too, right? It's kind of a hard thing to sort of delineate between what is, what's the chicken, what's the egg. Yeah. 
I mean, I would give more credit to Spurs from yeah. watching the match, just uh, of the way they played more so than anything tactically. I think that that Juve was doing or not doing. I thought I thought Spurs definitely had a better, the best players in almost every department of the field. Yeah, I thought yeah. I thought Erickson was the best attacking mid they had on the on the field. I thought mm-hmm. Kane was the best striker on the field. Shout out to Gonzalo. Wait, are you saying uh, Hugo is better than Buffon? <laughs> I, I can I can, can I, let's let's have a conversation about this really quickly. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't think that I can ever I've ever been able to accurately evaluate Buffon as a keeper because I'm so enthralled by his personality <laughs> yeah. and everything that happens. He so immediately has like an emotional reaction to. Where I'm like, I guess he's right. Yeah. I guess that was yeah, the defender's true. fault. But I would never know if he made a mistake because I was like, yeah. Jesus, he seems pissed. That must have been such a mistake by the left back. And it's like, who knows? I don't know. It's not like he's ever like, my bad, guys. Yeah. He's just like, he, he'll he'll actually save a ball and then just start tearing paint off of the guy next to him. Yeah, I, I love that, though. I love it. Like, you know. It's just uh, very vintage, old school keeper shit. Like, <laughs> there, I feel like there are some teams where it's like, Keeper makes a save and the, he's just like, that was fucking dope. What I just did there. Yeah. Do you guys see that? And you, Buffon's like, if I have to touch the ball, I'm going to fucking I'm kill, gonna kill you. <laughs> that I love that a keeper does, uh, Carius does this a lot. I think he t- he stole it from Neuer. Is <laughs> really routine save, cradle the ball, and then sprint out like you're going to throw it. Yeah. Don't throw it. And then, like, look at all your players. Like, yeah, I almost, threw, <laughs> I, I almost started a counter. Or, yeah, but when, it was up here. I knew I shouldn't do that. You guys can thank me later. Yeah, when you run out and then you like put your hand out and it's like everyone, everyone calm down. Everyone calm down. I got it. It's under control. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Wait, let, it, let's not forget for for the for this that uh, you know Juventus was lacking Dybala, who's big Matuidi in the midfield as well. I think. Matuidi instead of Kadera could have made a difference. Kadera had he completed sixteen passes in ninety minutes. He looked like he had like lead boots on. Uh, I would like to say that I definitely think that this tie is still up for grabs and that uh, the Wembley curse is real. Yeah, you don't <laughs> think that they're going to be able to pull it out? No, I, I think sort of... I think Juve could could definitely go get a goal and in in Wembley and then just be like we're shutting the door. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. If you read the press now, it, it seems like Spurs won four to two or something. Right. And, uh, well, because everybody's just <laughs> yeah. so enamored with them. The other well, thing that was interesting was the uh, in the PSG Madrid game, Unai Emery, who is still probably trying to live down Barcelona, uh, making him into an eternal YouTube clip with their six <laughs> five comeback against PSG the other season. Emery brought on a fullback for Cavani in a game that was tied 1-1 in the 66th minute. Now, with these guys in particular, Ryan, I understand maybe not— Okay, first of all, nobody is being saved on PSG for, like, domestic play. So, throw that out the window. (laughs) Second of all, everything about PSG is about their forward line. Do you really want to tweak that to bring a fullback on when you're only winning one— when you're drawing 1-1 in Madrid? It was a really weird decision, and then sort of dropping Danny Alves into the midfield. Yeah, um, like the only way that what? PSG is actually going to like win legitimately is like in a shootout. Like, and it's not like they're organized to play defensively like that. No, I mean, and they put on a right back, right Munier, and, and everything that happened good for Madrid was down the left side. Yeah, yeah. So. exactly. Everything about this game was so strange. Like the first. Out of the first forty minutes, the most the best pitch battle was between uh, 
Berichich Nach- and, Nacho. and Nacho, and the first goal came from Rabio. Like it was just, it was a strange game all yeah. around. It, I mean, it was just, it's, it goes to what we were saying. Like PSG's strength is that front three, and figuring out how to get them going is what you have to do with if you're PSG to yeah. sort of hit your ceiling. So taking one of them off is con- essentially conceding your strength. I think which... Verratti and Rabio are better, but I think Modric and Cruz are way better than those guys. And like, I, I just. I think that like these Champions League matches, like every season, it's just like the midfield just determines these things. Poor Lo Celso, right? Yeah. yeah, that was a Stra- tough, tough, Stra- tough one from Lo Celso. Straw poll on in the Ronaldo Neagle, did he commit a foul in the build-up? Yeah, I think he fouled fouled Kimpembe. That doesn't get called often, though. Yeah, I mean, like Ronaldo gets called for fouls in the box, like LeBron gets called for travels in the paint. Like it's not <laughs> like you—you you gotta just let it happen. I, I just saw a lot of crying about that. So, I was do you guys, you guys have think. anybody who's whether it's Unai Emery, whether it's um, what whether it's uh, Allegri and Juventus? Do you think that they can make any adjustments going into a second level? What is about, like, were, were any of them thinking two legs here instead of let's get the, the W? I think Emery was definitely like, I, I'd love a draw. Let's let's sh- shut up the shop. There's no other way to explain that yeah. sub. Um, yeah. I think you probably want to figure out a way to not have Lo Celso on the field <laughs> the next game. Yeah. Um, Juventus, I think it's just... Um, I mean, Juventus gets their, well, it was like you were saying before that Ericsson was the best midfield. Ericsson and Debele were better in the mid, like Allegri was getting, the midfield was getting overrun for a very long time before yeah. he did anything about that. Yeah. I think he makes a better adjustment in, at, when he goes to play at Wembley. Yeah, I and, think the thing for Juve, to me, the clear thing to do is both times they attacked the fullbacks on Tottenham, like the one time they attacked each guy, they both gave up penalties. Yeah, if I, was, <laughs> so I, I would just to say, wherever Aurier is on the on the field, <laughs> go at him. Five guys at him. <laughs> yeah, or just like you know, you can so easily picture a ball getting stood up to the back post and Mandzukic just coming in and just dunking on Aurier at the back <laughs> yeah. post. Yeah, I don't think Aurier is going to play. I want that's <laughs> true. Or uh, Ben Davies or whoever's yeah. in Trippier. Trippier. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we'll leave the champ. Champions League there. I want to talk a little bit of business uh, off the field right now because one of the things that's uh, been a theme, I think, of the last two seasons, especially this season, has just been the outrageous amounts of money flowing through the Premier League, which, of course, that's not news that's been happening for a while. But a, the the financial might of the Premier League is is daunting right now. Yeah. Um, and the domestic rights, uh, the UK rights for the Premier League was just they just did another round of, of selling those off, and they the prices were down a little bit. Uh, they sold four packages of games. They break them up into these tranches, and they sold four packages to Sky for three point five billion pounds, which is down fourteen percent from the current deal. And then BT bought the other package for eight hundred eighty five million pounds, down from nine hundred sixty million. Um, there's still another group of of packages of rights that I believe can, can be sold and. There's conversations about YouTube and Amazon and Netflix getting in the mix for these. But, Ryan, is there anything here that makes you think there is a bubble and the bubble is deflating? Um, I think I think the it's not that the bubble is like going to pop and explode. I think it's that the bubble was that Sky and BT probably overpaid for the rights in the last 
the last round through. Then they had to raise subscription rates, and not many people um, were willing to pay up. Yeah. And now they're kind of BT and Sky are have a cross licensing deal now, so they're essentially locking in rates for themselves because they're they're like essentially agreeing not to compete with each other. Sure. And none of the Amazon, Netflix, um, Facebook have really been it doesn't I mean there's two more packages left so it doesn't seem like they're going to get involved which isn't going to just isn't going to raise the raise the price now um, is the NBC rights are they up the US rights up now or are they is this are they being bid upon now I don't think they are right I, I think it's kind of all each sort of every overseas rights deal is its own thing on, on a different but, timeline so I think what's actually happening is we're not seeing the rates drop they're plateauing Mm -hmm. and then a lot of people are still saying that the overseas rights are going to go up everywhere so ultimately they're still actually going to be getting a little more tv money but the domestic rights aren't raising at the same rates that they have over the past two sort of negotiations so i think it's showing us that there was a bubble in the sense that there was a ceiling to all of this, yeah. and we probably just hit it. But that doesn't mean that we're going to just drop back down now. It's going to sort of stay there. I guess one of the things that I'm curious about, especially this goes outside of television, but when you see Arsenal smash their vaunted pay structure mm-hmm. and they're, they're paying Ozil, what, 350000 a week. Donnie, you know, they're talking about paying Harry Kane record numbers at Tottenham to keep him engaged at Spurs, you know, Every every couple of weeks, we hear about a new player new, that United is going to buy, and yet weirdly, we have half of the managers that we're talking about. These teams are like, well, we can't compete with PSG and Man City economically, so you know what are we going to do? Like that's Conte's line. I mean, it's just an easy line when you yeah. when you don't have. It. I mean, it's just kind of like complaining about the referees after you lose one zero at wherever. Yeah, I mean, like it's. Just kind of like it's an easy thing to point to if if you don't want to talk about, you know, why you didn't line up the right way before a game or whatever. Yeah. But I don't necessarily think that there's any sort of that's just more. I think that's just mostly hot air. Yeah. I mean, we also got to sort of have to see what is going to happen with financial fair play. And like, yeah, <laughs> obviously, you know, these teams, you can't compete with the nation of Qatar. You can't compete with the United <laughs> Arab Emirates, like spending wise. Yeah. Cause that's not like, it's not a business like Arsenal is, you know what I mean? It's just a f- essentially like a marketing arm of the nation of Qatar, or the Emirates. <laughs> and they're just, they want to win, right? right? That's what these teams are doing. That's all they care about. So it's like, they're playing a different game, but if financial fair play, you know, it's going to be a real test to see, how UEFA sort of deals with what PSG did. And, you know, maybe that that creates sort of a, a limit at the top and these teams are like Chelsea can afford to spend as much as PSG if if there's a cap on what PSG can spend. You yeah, know I, mean, I mean, that'll be fascinating. I'll also be interested to see whether or not I think that the competition for Champions League places, uh, the competition in the top six has made it so that it, it at least anecdotally feels like we haven't had, oh, this guy from the, the academy is broken into this side. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and not that those teams typically were run by kids. I think the class of 92 myth is a little overblown. But, you know, they can't afford to, like, play Woodburn on Liverpool for four games when they're in this, this death race for Champions League. And the yeah. same goes for Chelsea and their armada of kids that they have on loan all throughout Europe. And the same goes for United. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do think that teams are, it probably goes back to what we were talking about with Juventus being so risk averse. 
I think the teams overstate the negative potential potential negative effects of like playing your young players right. more often. Right. Um, there's 11 guys on the field. You know, well, you I mean, it's interesting though because to... it's like you see what happened with Sterling, right? That's yeah. the worst case scenario if you're Liverpool is that this kid accidentally gets into the side because of injuries. Yeah. Is gets on like a house on fire and then gets snatched up by a bigger club because you can't you don't want to pay him a hundred thousand a week because he's nineteen. Yeah. 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 I mean, well, I think that I'm thinking about in this conversation going back to when Lior Sane got injured versus uh, playing um you know, playing in the FA Cup and then Brahim Diaz comes on mm-hmm. and he's good. And it's just kind of like, all right, well, this is going to be the next thing that we're going to see this player develop. And then they're like, you know what? We're going to go out and spend 90 mil on Riyad Mahrez instead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's um, City talks a lot of shit about how good their academy is. And then they've kind of they haven't shown a willingness to play yeah, those academy. players. Yeah. Uh, the other big piece of off field business that took place this week, and this is one near and dear to Ringer FC's heart. Uh, <laughs> we had Kyle Martino on the show a couple of weeks ago. Kyle was running for the president of U.S. soccer. And I thought sounded relatively confident, Ryan, in his underlying, his XG for, for winning this election. <laughs> XG. Yeah. His, uh, would, you, would you guys have voted for him if you had a vote? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and have... my choices are Hope Solo, <laughs> Eric Winalda, Kathy Carter, Kathy Carter, Carter, and the guy who won, Carlos Cordero. Ryan, can you tell us a little bit about Carlos Cordero? Um, so Carlos Cordero was the vice president of U.S. soccer. Um, right-hand man to Sunil Galati. Yeah, right-hand man to Sunil Galati, who in his uh, acceptance speech said... He thanks Sunil Galati to intro- introducing him to soccer ten years ago, two thousand eight. <laughs> two thousand eight. He missed the he missed the U.S.'s best World Cup. Yeah, that's that's that sucks for him. Um, so he's sort of a you know a Kyle said it when we had him on. Um, Carlos Carrera was the only sort of self or independently wealthy person running in this election, which sort of mirrors a lot of the issues some people might have with American uh, <laughs> politics. Uh, some but, people. you know, Carlos Cadero was, he was a, he's a self-made wealthy person, um, used to work for Goldman Sachs, and has essentially said that he doesn't really know anything about soccer, which, with a glass half full, someone admitting they don't know anything about the sport is maybe a good thing, and maybe he's going to be willing to delegate uh, to people that are give positions of power to people who actually understand soccer, um, which we've talked about. That's kind of the issue with American soccer is the people in decision-making positions don't have much soccer uh, experience, which seems like a wild thing to say, but it's true. But if you kind of zoom out and take a macro look at it, it's like Sunil Galati's vice president got elected. Um, It seemed like it was a potential election for a big change because it's not the issue isn't that the U.S. didn't make the World Cup, but the U.S. not making the World Cup was sort of a vehicle for change, mm-hmm. possibly. But it's, you know, a guy who's sort of just been a part of the establishment that a lot of people have issues with. So overall, I would say don't expect really anything to change. But um, who knows? I guess we'll see when he appoints a general manager. Isn't that what the, the, the general manager is going to maybe, per an ESPN report from, I think it was like mid-December by Jeff Carlisle, 
is going to oversee the operations of the men's national team and maybe the U.S. women's national team. Nobody's really clear on that yet, but that should be like the first thing that Cordero does. So we'll see. Yeah, I'll be fascinated to see whether some of the candidates that were also up and whatever their their contingents and their their blocks were, yeah. whether they f- say, okay, everybody fall in line behind Carlos because we got to make U.S. soccer great again, or <laughs> are they going to be like, I told you, I told you we weren't supposed to do it this way. And, and I think that the big test, obviously the GM, you're right, Micah. Yeah. I don't know who's going to be the manager of U.S. soccer. I don't know when this is, I you know, I, I don't know what kind of foot they want to put forward and what kind of movement they want to get started here, whether it's an investment in youth or yeah. a, a polishing of the the turd that we saw in qualifying. I guess what I will say to this is that Ultimately, probably the biggest issue facing the U.S. currently is making sure that they get the 2026 World Cup. Carlos Cordeo has just because he because of his virtue of being the vice president of U.S. soccer is probably the guy that's best positioned to make sure, sure. That, that happens. So, you know, if that's if you want to look at it positively, that's there you go. Take that. Any final thoughts on the state <laughs> of U.S. soccer, Donnie? Take that, take that, take that, take that, take that. I'm just listening intently. Okay. All right. Uh, We will be back in two weeks. We'll have some more Champions League stuff, some more Premier League stuff for you. Until then, make sure you circulate the ball. Don't dive. Unless you have to dive. Hey listeners, this episode of The Ringer FC was brought to you by Just For Men. Hair regrowth from Just For Men is an easy-to-use topical solution that's clinically proven to help regrow hair. Like, you know. Zinedine Zidane, Zinedine Pep Guardiola. There's Pep plenty Guardiola. of great soccer. Timothy Chalamet. There you go, Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> Formulated with the number one dermatologist-recommended ingredient proven to regrow hair, 5% minoxidil. It works by reactivating hair follicles to stimulate regrowth. Perfect for men with thinning hair, like your Pep Guardiola's and the Zidane, so on and so forth. Plus, with a unique precision spray applicator, this is hair regrowth made easy. Simply spray, sit back, move on. Start winning over thinning. Look for hair regrowth in the shave aisle or visit jfmgrowhair.com and use promo code REGROWTH25 to get 25% off your purchase. 